hope everybody is doing well um, today. And uh, I know that in light of a lot of things that are going on in our country, as far as uh, I'm sure if you've been following the news with uh, hurricanes and things like that, there's just seemed to have been a, a lot of things that have been going on. And so I think today's uh, message is very appropriate. Um, today we're actually starting a new series on encounters, and it's encountering Christ in different situations. And this morning we're actually going to be looking at encountering Christ in the storm. And uh, I think it's really neat what happens here in Matthew chapter number 8. Because as we're going to go through uh, the gospel accounts, we're going to see several different times when people encountered Christ in different situations, different circumstances, and what the Lord did in their life and how God used those situations to show them something about himself, show show them something about uh, God and things like that. So as we look this morning about encountering Christ in the storm... I don't think it's a matter of if you're going to encounter storms in your life, but when you encounter storms uh, in your life that really kind of sets the tone of our our life and and what's happening in our life and and what God's trying to do in our life. And the disciples here in Matthew chapter number 8 are no exception of that as well. And I think you'll see that as the, as the story unfolds as we go through this. So let's take a look here at what uh, Jesus tells us and, and what Matthew writes about this uh, happening here. Matthew chapter 8, beginning verse number 23. It says, And when he got into the boat, this is Jesus, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man... Is this that even the winds and the sea obey them? Notice the question that Jesus asked to them. Why are you so afraid? Why are you afraid? What do you fear in life? That's what I want you to do. Just real quickly, I want you to take 60 seconds and somebody that's sitting next to you, around you... I want you to tell them two things that you fear in life right now. 60 seconds. Ready, go. Two things. Two things that you fear in life. All right, everyone got it done? For some reason, fear and anxiety... And the things that we encounter in life, they just seem to strike fear right in our hearts. And the disciples here were no exception to that. You know, we fear being sued. We fear finishing last. We fear going broke. We fear the mole on our back. We fear the new kid on the block. The sound of the clock as it ticks closer to the grave. We sophisticate investment plans. We create elaborate security systems with video cameras and and alarms and all this kind of stuff. 
But yet in all of our securities and all of the things that we have, we still have fear when we encounter the storms in our life. Can you imagine living your life calm in the storm when the storm is raging? Can you imagine actually being able to like live your life in complete, total calmness, even though everything around you is falling apart? This is possibility behind Jesus' question as he asked them, Why are you so afraid? Think about that question. Doesn't it seem odd to you that Jesus would ask that? I mean, isn't it kind of almost like Jesus asked this question and the disciples are kind of looking at him like saying, are you serious? Do you not see what's going on? Do you not see the water that's coming in the boat? Do you not see that we're struggling here trying to keep the sails together? Do you not? Are you serious? Are you really serious asking this? Jesus was serious in asking that question. And the disciples were as serious as well of asking him, say, Lord, help us. We need your help. He's not teasing. He's not pulling a fast one. Jesus isn't smiling. He's completely serious when he asks that question. Why are you so afraid? You see, this storm had completely changed their outlook on life. What they thought was just going to be a simple sail across the pond turned into basically a white water river raft. I mean, everything changed. Here is how Matthew recalls the account. These are Matthew's words. Listen to what he says and look at the terminology that he uses here. Matthew remembers this storm completely well. And as he writes them down, look what he says. He says that when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And watch this. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. Matthew did not choose to write a spring shower. He didn't choose to write a a simple cloud burst. He didn't simply write to say a, a simple downpour of water and rain. But notice what he says. He says, there arose a great storm. The word that Matthew uses there is the word seismos, which means basically a great eruption of sky and sea. We use that word seismos today still. Somebody who uses a seismograph to measure things that are going on, to measure earthquakes. Matthew uses this word. He says, there was a great eruption in the sky and the sea. And he says, this great eruption, this great storm happened. He felt and knew that this is exactly how he wanted to portray to us the size and the, the, I guess, the magnitude of this storm that they were encountering on the Sea of Galilee. It was more than just winds and whitecaps that they were encountering. It was a great eruption, a great seismus on the sea. See, Matthew used this other word, the same word other times in in his uh, gospel here. Once he used it in Matthew chapter 27, verses 51 through 54, when he says that the earth shook and the temple, the, the veil in the temple was rent in twain when Jesus Christ died. He says there was a great seismus, a great shaking of the earth. 
He also used it another time when Jesus resurrected from the grave. He says there was a great earthquake when the stone was rolled away. A great, the, the earth shook. There was a great shaking of the earth when the stone was rolled away from the tomb when Jesus resurrected. So Matthew is very clear on what he thought about this storm. There was a great seismos, a great shaking of the sky, a great eruption of the sky, a great eruption in the sea. And notice how he uses this storm and how he connects it with what he's saying. Look at the word before he talks about the storm. He says, behold. Behold. Right away, behold. And look how he connects the verses. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, (laughs) right away. Can you imagine the picture? They get on the boat. They've just been doing lots of ministry there. And they're going to go to the other side. And immediately as they get on the boat, a great explosion of the sky and of the sea, a great eruption. It all just turns into turmoil. They did not have time to react. They didn't have time to plan for it. It's not like they they were sailing, they're going, I don't know, look at those clouds over there. Those things are pretty dark. Maybe we should turn back. Behold, a great storm arose on their area there. One minute, maybe the disciples were shuffling cards and playing a game of of euchre. The next moment, (laughs) completely changed their life. They were in this storm. You can see Peter and John, who were sailors, struggling maybe to try to keep down the sails. Matthew over there, he's basically... Losing his breakfast because this is just a a terrible storm that they've encountered in life. Matthew's probably now regretting that he probably got on the boat at all. I probably should have just stayed over there. It's a lot easier. And do you see the surprise in there? They get in the boat and now here comes the storm. Wouldn't it sound better? I mean, wouldn't you like to maybe hear something like this? They're in this boat. Wouldn't it sound better if it had something to say like this? When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great rainbow arched in the sky. A flock of doves hovered in happy formation as they were led calmly through the sea of glass. Doesn't that sound a lot better? Then behold, a great storm, a great eruption of of sky and sea. Can I tell you something? As a believer in Christ, you will encounter storms in your life. And these, the disciples here, it was no exception in their life as well. They get in the boat and behold, a great seismos, a great eruption of sky and sea happens in their life. What storms in your life has shaken you up? What things in your life has happened, great seismos in your life that has shaken you to the very core of your life? You see, don't Christ followers enjoy of life a full of easy sailing? No. You see, this story sends the not too popular reminder to all of us that followers of Jesus can expect rough seas and great Seismous great storms in our life. 
Jesus said this very well in John chapter 16, verse number 33. He said, in the world you will have tribulation. Not might, not may, not could, might. But he says, you will have great tribulation in your life. You see, Christ followers contract malaria. They bury children. They battle addictions. And as a result in their life, we face fears and storms that come into our life. And the disciples here were no exception. There was a great storm that happened in their life. Well, let's continue reading here because I want to show you some other things about this storm that happens. You see, as they're on the storm here, can you picture the scene? The 12 disciples are in a boat. They're there with the Lord. They're gripped with fear. They're struggling in this storm. The waves, it says that the waves are coming into the boat. Up and down, down and up. Over, over, things are being tossed in and out. And what do they find? Notice what the text says. It says they're being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. You see, it's not the absence of the storms that sets us apart that we all encounter in life. But it's whom we discover in the storm of our life. An unstirred Christ. He's sleeping. Now there's a scene for you. The disciples scream. Jesus is dreaming. Thunder's roaring. Jesus is snoring. Can you imagine the picture? And they go up to him and they see him. I mean, water's coming in. They're screaming. They're running around. They're trying to hold things down. Could you sleep at a time like that? Yesterday, uh, I was invited. There was a family that we knew, uh, the previous church that we were at, and uh, they had a thing at uh, Cedar Point. So they invited me to come over there with them and just spend some time. Some of their uh, children had a youth group and uh, had a great time with them. But we rode some roller coasters and things like that. Can you sleep on a roller coaster? (laughs) No, you can't. Jesus is sleeping soundly through all of this. Hurricane gale force winds, boat being swamped by water up and down. Everything in life is falling apart right before their eyes. And Jesus is asleep. In Mark's account of the storm, we see an added detail about Jesus sleeping. In Mark chapter 4, verse 38, it says this. When Jesus was sleeping, it says, But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Jesus just basically, back in those days, the boats that they had, they had small areas where they would keep all of their equipment. And it was an area that was somewhat down in the boat. And so Jesus basically, he gets on the boat... And he purposely knows what's going to happen. 
He gets on the boat. He goes down in the bottom of the boat. And he may find some type of, uh, might be like a sandbag for ballast or something. He puts it over in the corner. All right. And he takes a nap. He's going to sleep. I want you to think of how Jesus reacted in this storm. This was premeditated sleep for him. He knew fully well of when he got on that boat of what was going to happen. And he purposely, purposely went to sleep. He didn't accidentally nod off in the corner. In full knowledge of the coming storm, Jesus decided it was time to go to sleep. Jesus is sleeping during the worst storm in their life, bothers disciples, however. Look at what happens. Here in Matthew's count, it says they find him sleeping, and it says, and they went and woke him. They actually had to wake him up. I mean, the screaming, the hollering, boat being tossed back and forth didn't wake him. They had to go over there and physically wake him up. I mean, have you ever been woken out of a, a, a sound sleep before in your life? You know how that like just really jolts you? It's so funny, uh, Evelyn, sometimes she'll like come in our room. And she did this one time, we were sleeping. And you get that feeling that there's like somebody like watching you or hovering over you. <laughs> and here she is, she's like hovering over me. And you open your eyes And she's looking right at you and she's got her finger and she's poking your eye and she's going, I, here's Jesus. He's asleep and they have to go and physically wake him up and notice what they say to him. They said, save us, Lord. We are perishing. We're dying out here. This is a life and death situation. Help us. In Mark's account, it records this. It says, they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You see, these two reactions are very important for, the, for they serve as the basis of what we experience in all of our life. When we encounter storms in our life, notice that they do not ask Jesus about this. They do not say, Jesus, we want to know about your strength. We don't know, can you still the storm? They don't ask him about his knowledge. Like, are you aware of the storm? They don't ask him about his no-to, like how to do this. They don't say, do you have any experience with storms? Have you ever, has this ever happened in your life before? But rather, these questions raise doubt about Jesus' character. Do you not care? And that's exactly what happens in our storms of our life. When they come, we're looking around, we're being swamped by the waves. Everything's falling apart. And we're looking around, we're going, do you not care? Look what I'm going through right now. Do you not care? And we raise the question about God's character that he does not care. Because they find Jesus asleep. I want to share with you just a few things about this storm. First of all, 
Fear corrodes our confidence in God's goodness. Fear causes us to question God's character. We begin to wonder if love even lives in heaven. If God can sleep in our storms. If his eyes stay shut when our eyes are growing ever wider as the boat is being overtaken by the, by the storm and the waves. Does he permit the storm? Does he care? If we get on his boat, does he care? Fear unleashes in us a swarm of doubts and anger stirring doubts in our life. I want you to notice about this in their text. Having fear turns us into control freaks. Notice in their text, in their statements, do something, fix it. Do you not care? I want you to do it now. Fix it now. Do something about it. It's the demand. Fix it or else we're perishing. Fix it. We're perishing. Do something now. We're going to die. Fix it. And they become control freaks. You see, fear at its center is perceived loss of control. You ever been on an airplane before? And as you're riding, things start getting a little jumpy. And then all of a sudden, whoosh. What do you do? You grab a hold of something. You know, they say that the uh, people that train for the Coast Guard, that they train them that when they go into the water, if there's somebody that's in the water and they're, they're facing a life or death situation, the person might be trapped, the person might be drowning, they're out in the sea, there's nothing there for them to do. And the Coast Guard goes in and those divers go in to try to help and rescue the person. Sometimes the person that's being rescued is so afraid of everything that's going on that they're not thinking clearly and sometimes they try to grab onto that person that's rescuing the Coast Guard and they put the Coast Guard person in danger. And sometimes the Coast Guard has to literally punch them and knock them out so that they won't cause danger to their life so that they can rescue them. And here... Fear sometimes in their storms of life, fear causes so much, so much stuff in our heart that we get out of control because we don't think things are being done about what we're going through in life. So when life spins wildly out of control, we grab for something we can manage. It might be our diet. It might be the tidiness of our house. It might be the armrest of a plane. It might be many cases, even people. We try to grab on and latch on to them because we cannot control the situation ourselves. The more insecure we feel, the meaner we become. We growl, we bare our fangs because we are sinners, in part, but also because we feel cornered. There's nothing that we can do. Do you not care? Is what the disciples asked Jesus. 
Fear releases the tyrant within all of us. And so when we encounter storms in life, we become very afraid and we try to control the situation. And Jesus simply says, why are you so afraid? What fears in your life right now has caused you to doubt confidence in God's goodness? It's interesting where this happened in this text. Because if you know the backstory, right before they get on the boat, you can see how they were doubting God's goodness, doubting what God could do, doubting what God was capable of doing. I want to just share with you here, just briefly here, of some of the things that happened. Notice here in chapter number 8, this text that's surrounding it, some of the things that are going on. Jesus talks about this, and basically he tells them the disciples had reason to completely trust Jesus in the midst of this whole storm. And because of their fear, they were doubting what God could do. So fear deadens our recall of spiritual victories that happen in our life. They had seen him healing all manner of sickness. They seen people coming to Jesus that had demons. They saw Jesus healing people that, that may have been paralyzed. People that had, had terrible, terrible diseases. And they saw God being at work. In, their, in the midst of them. And for some reason, when they get on the boat, automatically all that stuff goes right out the window because of the storm that comes in their life. So fear deadens our recall of spiritual victories. Fear creates a, a form of a spiritual amnesia. It dulls our miracle memory. It makes us forget what Jesus had done and how God really good he really is in our life. I want to share with you just a few verses. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 23, they had witnessed him heal a leper with a touch and a servant with a command. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 13, Lord, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. You got it. He's healed. They saw that happen. Peter saw his sick mother-in-law recover in Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 15. And they saw all demons be cast out with just his word and heal all who were sick in Matthew chapter 8, verse number 16. They saw the Lord at work, but for some reason, now they completely forgot what God had done. Do you not care, is their question. Jesus' war against fear. Jesus rages a war against this. You see, because fear so greatly shapes our lives, and so many times we worship uh, safety more than Jesus in our life, no wonder why Jesus wages a war against fear. The gospel lists some 125 Christ-issued statements And of these, 21 urge us to not be afraid or to not fear or have courage or take heart or to be of good cheer. The second most common command is to love God. Neighbor appears only eight times. And so if quantity is an indicator, 
Jesus takes our fears completely seriously in our things that we face in life. So here are just a few verses about fear that Jesus mentioned. And I'll, I'll kind of go through these and you can write them down. You can uh, read them uh, for, another, for another time. But listen to what Jesus says here. And he says this more, he talks about fear more, tell, telling us that we should not be afraid more times than any other statement that we find. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 31, Fear not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 2, Take heart, my son, your sons are forgiven. When he was healing a man that was paralyzed. In Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about what your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Luke chapter 8, verse number 50. Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Matthew chapter 14, 27. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. John chapter 14, verses 1 and 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. John chapter 14, 27. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Luke chapter 24, verse 38. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Matthew chapter 24, verse number 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. And Matthew chapter 17, verse number 7, But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. Jesus takes our fears seriously. And he says, Why are you so afraid? Why are we afraid? Why are we fearing? You see, we've probably never made statements like this. My phobia has put such a spring in my step. We never say things like, you know, I'd be a rotten parent if it were not for my hypochondria. We probably never say things, thank God for my pessimism. I've been such a better person. We never say things like, I've been such a a, a person, a better person since I've lost hope. We never say, my doctor says if I don't begin fretting, I'm going to lose my health. You see, we've all learned the high cost of our fear because of the storms in our life. Jesus' question is a very good one. Why are you so afraid, oh, of little faith? Why are we afraid? Why do we fear? So what is fear's purpose in our life? It does serve as a purpose. Fear basically serves as a purpose in the fact of warning of danger that may happen. It also serves itself as the fact of helping us see what's happening in our life. Fear is not necessarily sin, but it can lead to sin if we begin to question God's goodness and his character in our life. Do you not care? 
Were they afraid? Yes. But they questioned God in the fact of, you do not care about us. You're going to let us die out here in this boat. The waves are coming in and you do not care. You see, if we medicate fear with angry outbursts, drinking binges, sullen withdrawals, self-starvation or vice-like control in our life, we exclude God from the solution and we make the problem even worse in our life. We subject ourselves to a position of fear, allowing anxiety to dominate our life rather than allowing Jesus Christ to control. Insecurity paralyzes us. And so Jesus' question, why are you so afraid, is such a good question. Because fear is not from God. You see, fear may fill our worlds, but it doesn't have to fill our hearts. It will always knock on the door and it will alarm us of the danger that's around us. But it should not rule our life. Why? Because fear does not come from God. God does not give us a spirit of fear. So how do we deal with fear? We should cling fast to Jesus' words. Do not fear. We should memorize and meditate on them. We should think often about them, that God cares about us deeply. And he knows of our fears. He knows of the circumstances. But we should not allow those fears to control us. Could it be that God views our seismic storms as being something that's not that big of a deal? I'll give you an example of this. Evelyn got this as a, as a present from, from my dad. And it's just a silly toy. It's, um, what does the fox say? Okay. She loves this thing. She turns it on. She'll watch it. She'll turn it on, and then she'll put it on the floor and dance with it. Okay? It's got three batteries in the feet. Uh Uh-oh. That's a word that we're learning now. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, Oh, no. Uh Uh-oh. Her little fox quit working. Uh Uh-oh. She brings it over to us. We said, oh, yeah, it's not working. We give it back to her and say, we'll fix it. You would have thought that the world had just completely come apart. The fox isn't working. It's not doing what I want it to do. The batteries need replaced. We look at this and we say, that's silly. It's a stupid fox. It's a stupid toy. We'll get batteries for it. No big deal. But to her, it's the biggest deal in her entire life. And could it be that the fears that we face in life, the things that are going on in our life, God looks at them and he's just saying, I know what's going on. Why are you so afraid? Why is this, why is this wreaking havoc in your life? Do you not trust me? Do you not trust me that I'm going to fix this? Do you not trust me that I can fix this? Do you not think that I want to fix this? I want to fix this. And we look at that and we, we, we try to come up with plans, come up with schemes, trying to fix it on our own. The disciples are trying to hold down the, 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 the sails. 
They're probably over there with buckets and they're going, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And Jesus says, why are you so afraid? I want to share one verse with you over here in Psalm chapter 46, verse number 10. The Lord writes, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I used to think of that verse where it says, be still, know that I'm God. It's the fact of like, you know, the little kid sitting in church and he's like, you know, kind of wiggling around and, you know, mom's like, sit up straight. You know, that's not what that verse is talking about. That verse is talking about be still, relax. Take your hands off the situation. Don't try to control it yourself. I know what's going on. Relax. When I went to go change the batteries for this, I had the screwdriver and Evelyn was watching me. You know what she tried doing? Grabbing, putting her hand out. I can do it. I can fix it. No, you can't. You don't even know how to use a screwdriver. Put your hands down. Put the batteries in. Put it back on. There you go. It's fixed. It's done. Many times in our life, when the storms come, Jesus just simply wants us to relax. To don't throw our hands up. To not try to control the situation on our own. Don't be afraid. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. Let's wrap all this up. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Jesus handles these storms. He handles these great seismos. He handles these great eruptions of the sea and the sky. And basically, the sea becomes as still as a frozen lake. And what happens the disciples are left there wondering with amazement and they say what manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him so whatever great seismos whatever great storm you're facing in life right now Jesus is fully aware of the storm he knows exactly what's going on he knows what's going to happen in your life he wants you to relax He wants you to not be afraid. He doesn't want you to throw up your hands and try to control the situation. But simply rest in him. And trust him. Not accusing him. But simply trusting him in your life. Let's pray together.